welcome to Buddha at the Gas Pump. As you can see, we're at the Science and Non-Duality Conference in San Jose, and I'm with my friend Annemieke Borscht, who is Dutch, but who lives in Oroville, South India, where she works as a potter, and heroically she flies all the way over here every year to attend this conference, and I can't believe how fresh she looks considering how much traveling she's just done. Although she stopped in Las Vegas for a couple of days. And to, to do some gambling. Do, did you do any? Uh, yes. Yeah? Right. Did you win any? No. no. I mean, after half an hour, I got so bored that I just let all the money go. Yeah. It's called Las Vegas for a reason. Las Vegas. <laughs> Chances are you're going to lose there. So uh, I've known Anamika for several years just from seeing her at conferences. And I've kind of, you know, felt like I had the impulse to sit down and have a conversation this year. Yeah. So, glad that you could come and do this. Anamika has written a book called Life at Zero Distance. And it can, I read most of it on the plane coming out. I was kind of impressed. I mean, I don't know what it is about Dutch people, but their English is so darn good. You and Bentinho, I mean, you hardly know that you're not American or something. Oh, you have a little bit more of an accent than he does, but... Why do Dutch people speak such good English? Just um, teach you in school or something? Uh, one of the reasons is that in, on Dutch television, mm -hmm. when they show a movie, mm -hmm. they have Dutch subtitles. So as a small child, you get the English sound. Ah, and you're reading the subtitles. It kind of goes into your, uh, yeah. into your system. And of course, I lived since 30 years in India. 30 years now? Why did you go there in the first place? I was looking for the meaning of life. Uh -huh. Did you find it? <laughs> <laughs> um, after 25 years, you find out that the meaning of life is life itself. Uh -huh. But I didn't know that at the time, so I was on a journey to find out. And what kind of stuff did you do in India in that journey? Were you like in Osho's ashram or something? Or? Um, I started in Nepal and then I was just journeying through Nepal and then North India. And on the way you, you get to know Hinduism, mm -hmm. you get to know Buddhism, I was in Bodh Gaya. Uh -huh. And you start to perceive a little bit what, what is meant by their religion, by their rituals. Uh -huh. And at that time, I felt what I, what I could see in, at that time is they want to achieve enlightenment. Mm -hmm. And I thought at that time, it's going out of life. Enlightenment. Enlightenment, yeah. You thought it was sort of an, esca escapist an escape kind of thing? Yes. Uh -huh. So it didn't resonate at that time. So yeah. it was only when I uh, came in touch with Sri Aurobindo and the mother who were talking about the uh, divinization of life that mm. it made start to make sense why there is life on earth. Yeah. That's why I kind of settled in Orofield and started my journey there. I think you're the first person that I've interviewed who has any kind of familiarity with Sri Aurobindo. So it might be useful since I guess you found his, as you just said, you found his teaching kind of more meaningful or something than That's some of the other things you had run sure. into. Uh, it might be useful to, to summarize it a little bit since he's not alive and I can't interview him. What is the, the gist of his teaching? And I suppose that, that teaching is kind of the foundation of Oroville itself. That's why people have congregated there. It's very hard to give a summarization of Sri Aurobindo's teaching because he has written so much, mm -hmm. so many books in so many directions. He, he is a scholar, he studied in, in England and 
is written and um, but what what I understand because everybody understands it in his own way it's the to uh, make the perfection of the human instruments the mind and what he calls the vital in the body mm-hmm. to be able to, to receive the divine and the divine will uh, kind of divinize the body mm-hmm. divinize divine life that's great. So, in other words, the body is understood to be like a, um, a radio or something that could be tuned up a little bit so as to receive the signal more clearly yeah. and transmit it. No, I like that. I mean, there are some teachings, like perhaps you were alluding to them a minute ago, which are escapist, which don't really take the body into consideration or regard... What are you thinking? Well, that, that was when I was 24 years old. Yeah. So, after... 20 years absorbing the teachings of Sri Aurobindo and the Mother, uh-huh. um, I came to see also that I didn't find any resolution in their teachings. Hmm. What would you have expected a resolution to be? What kind of resolution were you in, looking for or anticipating? It has to do with having wrong ideas about what enlightenment is. Uh-huh. I thought it's uh, being transported to another level of bliss, constant bliss. Yeah. And of course, it's always out of reach. And if there is no teacher to tell you, and you're only reading books, yeah. you kind of get stuck. So I had to find another way of finding this. Uh, it's actually a dissolution of wrong ideas. Are you implying that? Sri Aurobindo's teaching was wrong in some way? No. Or giving you false uh, expectations? Or are you just saying that your understanding of it was, or what? I think it's both both ways. Uh Something missing in his teaching? No, I I cannot say that his teachings is wrong. It's just that my understanding of it... Was incomplete. Is incomplete, yeah. Yeah. And and also there is not a living teacher who could give me the answer. Uh Like, he passed away in 1950. Right. And when he was alive, he was saying there are half a dozen people living in the ashram with the Brahma realization, the realization of the self. Uh So it's not unfamiliar to him. And the way he was relating to disciples, it's direct and he could guide them. Right. Now, in 1950, he passes away. Mm -hmm. And and half a dozen have passed away. And then there are people summarizing his words. In different ways, and it gets all a little yeah. vague. Right. And there is not a person there who can help you clear the mist. Yeah. So, in order for me to get resolution, I had to find somewhere else to. So, in other to words, it's answer. kind of gone the way most religions have gone, where it, it was really vibrant and alive yeah, when, was, yeah. when the teacher was alive, but after the yeah. teacher dies, then it's like this party game where it gets passed from one person to the next yeah. and it gets more and more distorted and muddled and different opinions about yeah, what the teacher are, was actually... reports about a teaching, summarization. Uh, yeah, you see it's, second, it's, third hand. Yeah, and, it, and, and even if it's direct, it's not, it's not uh, recent anymore. Right. You see, the teaching is alive. Yeah. So when it's uttered, it's alive and it's there, it's sure. vibrant. But if it's the same teaching 50 years later, yeah. The words are still the same, but the vibrancy is gone. Yeah. So if you had been there in 1950, it might have been a different story. Fine. <laughs>
you still live in Oroville, but you have kind of looked a little bit elsewhere for this resolution you referred to. Yeah, I mean, his teachings are, are excellent if you, want, if you want to get to know the system, what uh -huh. you are, uh -huh. because it helps you to see that you are not your thoughts. Sri Aurobindo says thoughts come in. Uh -huh. you, know, they, you don't fabricate them in your own thought factory. They come in and they pass away. Same right. with thoughts, with feelings, with emotions. So if you dive into the teaching, it helps you a lot to understand how the system works. Mm -hmm. and in a way, by doing that, you also get more free from all the identifications. Yeah. So it's, it's excellent. It's good. Mm -hmm. But then to, to get over you know, the last hurdle, I'm not the person. Yeah. But I'm that in which all appears, mm -hmm. there is nobody who tells you that. So in the right. end, you can feel lost because you feel what's happening. I, do, I don't feel like a person, but then what am I? You so don't in other know. words, there's that, nobody to tell you that. That realization started to dawn in your experience, you mean, but there was nobody you could talk about it with or. Well, actually, I thought something is wrong with me. Yeah. Because I didn't feel like a person and I didn't have desires and opinions and I, th I saw everybody around me had and I thought what's wrong started to become more fluid and it felt strange yeah it was not nice and, and in order to feel some substance I started to do swimming and aerobics so I could feel my sore muscles there was still some some substance yeah where I could feel oh, this is me because for the rest I don't know and the idea of of Advaita that you are that. Expands. You are dead. Yeah. Had not entered my my framework. So, so you just thought I there was something lost. wrong with you. Yeah. Yeah. What precipitated this experience? Do you know? I mean, were you doing some kind of spiritual practices, which caused yeah, these twenty years of just watching yourself? And I was saying uh, because I read from Sri Aurobindo in the very beginning when I came. Uh, if you want to realize the self, you can say. I'm not the mind, I'm not the vital, I'm not the body. Mm -hmm. I keep saying that. So it's a self-inquiry kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. So I had been doing that for years, but I had no idea what the result would be. Yeah. So it was becoming more and more transparent, but without any idea of where this could lead to. It was it like a thing you would do all day long, whatever you were doing, working on a pot, you'd be going so, through this? And... Not so much as a practice, but sometimes it would just come up. And yeah. It would kind of Itself. Right. It would be uh, especially helpful in difficult situations, yeah. like when uh, the body is very sick and there is pain. There is the, the, the uh, tendency to contract with it and like that. And then, if you keep saying that, there is some space coming and some uh -huh. kind of okay, it's just happening. Yeah. Or psychological problems, you know, you go into these emotions and. Uh, and then to keep saying that, then you feel the space. Mm. Okay, so that space started opening up in you and you were doing physical stuff to kind of keep yourself grounded and you know, feel like a person still. Um, Trying not to get nuts, yeah. Yeah, well, sometimes people do get nuts when they go through these transitions, yeah. you know? I mean, it can, I've really seen it destabilize people sometimes. Yeah. And yeah. In I fact, um, Scott Kilby, who was going to be here, and we were going we to have this talk about the fact, uh, the fact that, um, in his experience, all these people are coming to him and, and with various kinds of 
issues and problems because of, really because of focusing on non-dual teachings, which is not to say there's anything ultimately wrong with non-dual teachings, but somehow maybe they were misapplying the teachings, maybe they weren't ready for those particular stages of teachings, but he's saying it, it's causing kind of severe disassociation and some other kinds of problems in people. And, he wanted to have a talk about that, but unfortunately his mother just died, yeah, and so he had to leave, yeah. yeah. Um, okay, so... And then I, I got, uh, got in touch with internet mm -hmm. in 2006. I didn't know what was all happening, uh -huh. but at that time I discovered non-duality teachers uh -huh. who were my age, spoke my language, because I had been surrounded by wise Indian men, yeah. holy men, and of course I could never kind of re relate to them because right. this was out of my league. Different culture. Yeah, and also... Well, you, one was, would I think was, that you would have been kind of Indianized after 30 years in India, but maybe you were all, always around Westerners and so... No, no, it's more also in the Indian culture, the reference to the guru is immense. You're never at the same level. Right, right. So to put myself at the same level as a teacher is actually already very Indian. Yeah. So you met, you were starting to tune into some people who were your peers. Yeah. Yeah. And we were saying things which I thought, wow, what they are saying are making sense. I, I, for the first time, I was really listening. Mm -hmm. And I thought, I I know what they are talking about. It's already here, and I couldn't believe it was so simple. Huh. I could see it's here. Yeah. I couldn't believe it's so simple. Huh. That's why I uh, I asked Leo Harton to right. for a meeting in Holland, huh. and he said, "Yeah, this is it." And somehow I just opened up, hmm. became clear, and in a in a stable way. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, although I meant I saw references in your book about you know well sometimes you get foggy and sometimes you get dull and and yet. You know, that's still the reality, even if... Everything gets, is seen in clarity. Even if, you're, even if it gets clouded over. Does it get clouded over ever? This is not how I would say things. It's not clouded over, because the clouded over is seen in clarity. See, everything just appears in what you are, whatever uh -huh. it is. If there is uh, irritation or depression, it's seen in clarity, uh -huh. and there is no uh, identification. Uh, right. It just comes and it goes. It's like it visits and it leaves. Yeah. In your case, I feel like it's real. <laughs> um, in some cases, when I talk, hear people talk this way, I feel like they've read too many books, and it's not really their experience. They just learn those words, and, they, and they're good at saying those hasn't really become an experiential reality for them. And maybe that's the people whom Scott was referring to who kind of get into trouble where they just kind of drum those concepts into their heads, but haven't really, it hasn't become I, I think a it's, living it's reality. A, a deconditioning has to take place no? mm. in order that it becomes kind of true for you. Yeah. This deconditioning had taken place really knowing what, what was, was about. going on. Yeah. So when when the penny dropped mm -hmm. and it became clear it was like everything was already in place. Mm. And some people do it the other way around. They indulge in 
trying to understand the kinds of things you're saying, but the deconditioning hasn't taken place. But, so. but in a way, nobody is doing anything, Rick, because I didn't choose to do this. I didn't even know what I was doing. But you were doing something, though. Yeah, it, yes, but not, yeah. not intentionally. I didn't do things with intention. You didn't know this was going to be the outcome. No, I had no idea. No. And, and, but, but you were a spiritual aspirant for 30 years. You had this desire, this motivation, drive. this drive, and you were doing what you were saying earlier about questioning your thoughts or whatever it was you said. <laughs> so there was this kind of engine that was kind of... This is not something I did, you know, it's just, it was there. And like people who get in touch with uh, non-duality and start questioning in their way and maybe only on level, they, they also can only do what they're doing. Mm -hmm. And maybe if they get then destabilized, it's something in them which then wants them to continue in the deconditioning process. Could this, be. Is, this is all a natural flow of things. So you're saying that whatever anybody does is just kind of like in the natural flow of things. Yeah, because and we have never any choice in what we are doing. I didn't choose to go to India. You know, I had no choice. I was forced to go. I tried not to go. Really? At, at that you? time, because uh, I thought, oh, India is a scary country. Yeah, and, uh, but you just felt an impulse. I had to go. Yeah, I had felt no compulsion choice. to go. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I had no choice. Yeah. And then what you meet on the way, you have no choice. That I ended up in Orville is because, you know, I met this guy. One thing led to the that, next. That. Yeah. And this is with everybody. I know a lot of people say this, that there are no choices, but in it, my it, does, it doesn't mean that if somebody says this guy could have done like this or like mm -hmm. that or you should have that this could be also an impulse into a direction yeah. that she needed to hear. Or if somebody says, Would you like chocolate or vanilla? You, th you think mm, I think I'll take chocolate. You know. You you appear to be making a choice. Now yeah. maybe on some level it's autumn there's the, you're not the chooser and there is no choice being made. But you have, I think there's some value in being true to your experience and not trying to assume the dharma, a different dharma than the one you're living at the time. You know, And there are a lot of people who, again, pay lip service to this notion of choicelessness, but who actually are living in a, in a state where they very much are, they, they appear to be making choices to themselves. I mean, they think, well, I'm deciding to do this instead of that. So again, I don't know if I'm making the distinction clear, am I? No. Okay. Because for me anyway, uh, all the choices we make are informed by our past already, and then it just pops up. Yeah. It's in a way already clear. There is already a preference for either chocolate or vanilla. Mm -hmm. And you, you may be born with this uh, particular uh, disposition. You know, one of the qualities of spiritual development that, that non-duality teachers like Shankara um, talk about in, in his discrimination. In fact, he wrote a book yeah. called The Crest yeah. Jewel of Discrimination. Yeah. And as I understand discrimination, it's, it's a kind of a, a, a fine faculty of discernment, of discernment. which you know, sounds to me like choice in a way, where there's this kind of parsing out of the real from the unreal and, and yeah. kind of a yeah. 
an ability to entertain very subtle considerations and, and kind of in order to establish yeah. awakening. Yeah. So there's, it's like a faculty that's it's being faculty, used, yeah. like the faculty of speech or the faculty yeah. of sight or the you know faculty of hearing. It's a it's a faculty, and isn't it a isn't it a choosing faculty, a deciding faculty? This, this it, subtle discrimination? It could, it could be called like that, uh -huh. but I don't know if there is a, a person behind that doing it. You see, uh, uh, what I can see from my own experience, following the teaching of Sri Aurobindo and the mother, uh -huh. there is nobody there telling you what to do. You have to find out everything by yourself. Yeah. And what they say a lot is to listen to your inner voice, mm -hmm. your true voice, and then when you try to do that, then you have your instincts and you have your desires. and You have to learn. You have to learn to discern what you're saying. Yeah. What comes up now, and is it real, or is it true, and if uh -huh. you follow it, what are the consequences? Right. Then you find out, no, no, uh, better not, you know, yeah. better follow another. This is discernment, uh -huh. but it's an impulse for truth already, and what is that? That's only the divine wanting to find itself. Exactly, yeah, it's, it's like an innate impulse in life. That yeah, it's, just it's already once... Animates us, motivates just, us. Yeah, and wants to already get more true or go to the light or yeah. whatever you want to call it. So we're wired that way. Yeah, or yeah. at least in some it appears more clear maybe than in others, mm -hmm. but yes, yeah. So you're kind of saying that there's no chooser, but there's choice. There's a choosing faculty, there's a function of choosing and deciding and discriminating and discerning, but there's yeah. no inner seed of an entity who is doing that yeah. stuff. It's not somebody standing there. A little man with the puppet strings. <laughs> <laughs> going to decide now. Yeah. And so, how is your life now as a result of this resolution, using that word that you used in the, in the beginning, as compared to how it was? Uh, there is a contraction that has disappeared. Contraction? Contraction. What do you mean by that? Well, say that the person as he perceives himself uh -huh. is uh, energetic contraction uh -huh. which is formed by the habits of the thought patterns and the habits right. which is energetically established because that's how we have kind of moved through life and has been have been uh, um, we say that uh, confirmed by by our parents who are like you like that, you believe it, uh -huh. becomes a pattern. So conditioning? Yeah. You're referring to conditioning. Conditioning, which, which is felt energetically as a contraction. Yeah. So in other words, it has a, maybe another word from contraction would be a, a kind of, con, well, constriction is yeah, another good yeah, word, like yeah. handcuffs constrain you. Yeah. Constriction, it contraction. It binds you. Bind, they talk about the binding influence of action in Vedic teachings and all. You're, you're bound, you're constricted, you're constrained, yeah. you're contracted. Yeah. 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 So the, the ocean is squeezed into a drop. Yeah. So that if that kind of uh, falls away, mm -hmm. life is uh, more at ease more relaxed, uh, the sense of lack is gone, mm. the sense of something missing is gone. Mm -hmm. Fear maybe is gone. Fear, fear is gone. Mm -hmm. uh, the idea of something to get in the future is gone. Mm -hmm. There is peace with what is, whatever it Living is. Living in the present, peace with what is. Peace, yeah, even if, if it's being ill and lying on the floor, on your bathroom uh -huh. floor, there is still total acceptance of what is. 
was and it can can be felt as something exquisite just to feel the pain and if you take away the labels of pain and just feel it, it's it's beautiful hmm. no preferences if you ask me now i say no but if you ask me you want this or that then uh, choice then comes a preference yeah. yeah and if you're lying on the bathroom floor ill and if i said would you like to stay on the floor for the next 10 years or would you like to get healthy and be up and, up and about again you probably say off the floor please yeah, because you can't help that there is a natural tendency towards moving towards health. So yeah. th then it pops up, oh, maybe I could do this, and you get up and you yeah. do it. take some tea or whatever, you yeah. know, the, you, yeah. there's a natural tendency. Yeah, so we, we do have preferences, but, um, well, you know, one way of looking at it, see if you agree with this, is that we do what we can to improve our lives, to accomplish things, like you came here, it's something you like to do, and so on. But, well, you know, what the Gita actually says is you, you have control over action alone, never over its fruits. Live not for the fruits of action, nor attach yourself to inaction. So you do what you can, you're doing stuff, but you're not attached to the outcome. Does that resonate with you? And I, I would even say that th this you is not there. Because even that, you know, it's, it's only appearing as all these forms and it's just but you're one of those forms not yeah, this form not, is also not all you are but it's part of what you are is a form everything is forms just happening and, and there is not anywhere a separate something deciding or doing there's only oneness appearing as everything and so the oneness is deciding the oneness in the bird decides to fly over to this tree and the oneness in the ant decides to crawl over there. It's just happening. I don't know if there is any decision there. You see, there is a natural intelligence, of course. It's not just blurb oneness. Right. Because if you just look at the human body. Yeah. How this it's is amazing. functioning, my God. And who's doing that? It's just happening. Right. And if, and if you had to do it. <laughs> You'd be dead in a, in a few seconds. <laughs> a few seconds yeah. <laughs> Even any one of its functions, digestion, for instance, if you had to manage that. <laughs> yeah. So there's there's this sort of intelligence that runs the show. It's only oneness. Yeah. And appearing in all this amazing differentiation of things. You know, it's not all the same oneness. You see, uh, just the difference of faces. Mm -hmm of textures. Mm -hmm. Nothing is ever the same. So, Well, would you say it's the same oneness appearing as your face, my face, their faces? And, and the, the table and, and the book and, yeah. and the sounds and the sky. But you know, well, how about this? On the sort of absolute ultimate level of things, there's just this oneness, right? And then it rises up, as you say, in tables and people and books and sky yeah. and, and, and all those things. And but those things have certain qualities, tendencies, functioning capacities. Yeah, of course, you of know, course. Uh, Just for the play of life. For the yeah. And, and then in the humans, there appears sometimes that they are kind of uh, separate and can decide. And that's also only one is appearing like that. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, for instance, the, the notion of reincarnation there is if that if that's a valid understanding of the way things work there there's something which 
inhabits one body after another as it progresses in, in its evolutionary course. And you can boil all you can boil that something and all those bodies and the whole span of it down to nothingness, down to oneness. But still, uh, on a manifest level, which has to, I think has to be taken into consideration, there is you know there's some kind of something that you know is anamika and was Anamika the soldier in the past life, you know, and will be Anamika the scientist in the next life, if there is a next life. Do you, do you buy into that whole thing, or does it seem theoretical to you, or nonsense, or what? I don't know. I wouldn't you don't know. know. I okay. wouldn't know. But if it's true, and many traditions, especially the ones in the country where you live, say it's true, then... Still, I wouldn't know, you see. You could make... Someone might know. Is it true? Will you ever know? These, these are ideas about something. How will we ever know? The only thing we ever know is this. Well, the guys who wrote these books in the first place and came up with all these ideas may have known. They, they, it may not have been blind speculation. They might have had the cognitive ability to actually experience the mechanics of this stuff. They may have known, but how will we ever know? We may know too. This, these are then only ideas we have about it, and it, it could be like this, and we could discuss it, and it yeah. might be like this, and we could discuss it, and never will we ever know, because the only thing which is true ever is only this. It is here now. Right now. Yeah. yeah. I guess what I'm getting at is to caution against the tendency to say it's only this, you know, because anytime you kind of use the word only or just, or these sort of absolute conversation stopper words. Yeah, I know. It's not, it seems to me to be not necessarily the, the full picture. It doesn't take into account the, the paradoxes of life. Maybe one way of looking at it is, it is it just sort of overemphasizes the absolute value of life to the neglect of the relative. And perhaps the, the bigger reality includes both and includes all kinds of things that are really quite paradoxical and contradictory to one another. I run into this a lot, which is why I'm talking about it. I know, about. I know. For me, this, this appears as everything, as everything. Yeah. That, and if to say the absolute and the relative is already, but they are only concepts happening in this. Okay, so it, you're saying it, that the, the this... No, you're saying the... Okay, I'm sorry, This, this is everything. And everything includes absolute and relative. Everything includes the, the plain vanilla oneness and the rich, diverse oneness multiplicity. Good. Okay. <laughs> since, uh, since you had this resolution, how many, uh, I don't know if you can put a... 2009, I think. Really? Can you actually, was it so precise that you could put a date on it? Or is it more like around that period things kind of came no, I, together? I, I met Leo Hartung in Holland. Uh-huh. I asked him, is it this? He said, yeah, this is it, and that was it. That was it, so it could have been June 30th, 2009. Yeah, and but I forgot the date. I forgot the date. 2009, it was May or June. So really it was this abrupt... It was just like... Night and day. Ah. That was it. Well, that really. sounds good. Yeah, and there was no real big thing around. And so since then, has there been any sense of further unfoldment or, or you know, maturation yeah, or deepening yeah. or clarifying? I mean, this, or this writing, this text in the, on the blog 
was definitely a way of uh, integration because uh, in horror field there are not many people you can talk about it so uh, otherwise it's, it stays a little uh, unmanifest so if you, you write about it it becomes more more there more it's part of the integration of them. And to this day, you, you have the sense, like you were here a year ago, you have the sense that, wow, in the past year, I've integrated or I've changed or I've, there's been some kind of further... Well, what I can see happening is that uh, I've been conditioned uh, from, from child onwards mm -hmm. up to some years ago to rather hide, to be more shy, to hide, to hide uh -huh. you know? Are you, now you're kind of less so? And uh, the tendency has been like that, uh, finding it difficult to talk mm. in groups or talking in general. Mm -hmm. And I see that there is now the tendency to override that conditioning because it feels like limitation, mm -hmm. something which is not anymore appropriate. So that I see happening of talking. Feeling more kind of bold or confident or... Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's good. <laughs> um, a couple of people have been sitting here listening to this. Um, do you guys have any questions or reactions to what she's been saying? Do you have anything, Francis? No? Okay. But maybe you would. <laughs> if anything occurs to you, let me know. We can throw in a question from the peanut gallery. <clears throat> do you want to tell people a little bit about what's in this book? This book. Um you probably know Jerry Katz? Yeah, sure. He was sometimes publishing some of the text in his non-duality highlights. Mm -hmm. And I think it was in April or May, he was saying, why don't you put it into a book? And mm. something, oops, uh, you know. Were these things that you were posting on Jerry's site? Is that what these are? Uh, he, sometimes, because it's on the blog, people read it. Yeah. He was taking sometimes one post out uh -huh. and puts it on the non-duality. I lives, see, I see. So around. your blog, you were putting things on your blog and he was lifting some of those things and putting it and sending it around. Yeah, he just took one text yeah, and yeah. put it into his highlights. Okay, good. Sending it around. Yeah, I'm subscribed to that. Then I was not so convinced. I didn't think it was good enough. I was just mm. writing more for myself. Yeah. And then some other friends were encouraging me. Mm -hmm. And then I still thought, you know, why to write a book? I don't know how to do that. And then a friend offered to do that. Huh. Good friend, Cecilia, and she's excellent. She designed this book. You know Cecilia? It's DJ's wife. Oh, right, of course, yeah. yeah. So she did an excellent job putting yeah. it all together, you know. Yeah. I, I just see it happening this book. Very nice. Yeah. Yeah. And um, maybe what I would like to mention also is that mm -hmm. all the profit is going to an old age home in Pondicherry. Mm -hmm. A good friend, uh, Albert, he started this because he was so uh, moved by the plight of the old people living on the streets yeah. who don't have any family and friends and they're slowly dying. So he, he opened his home for uh, 25 people. Uh -huh. Then Albert got an accident two years ago for the brain damage. Oh died last year uh -huh. and since he passed away the funds are drying up slowly mm. 
So, so you're helping to replenish them? Yeah, I'm, I'm slowly getting involved with uh, maybe trying to get some funds together. Great. Setting up a website and uh, ah. maybe... Uh, well, that's laudable. You know, we could... Uh, when I put this up on BatGap, we could, if you have something, we, you could put in some explanation of that and you could okay. have some explanation of what people could do if they wanted to contribute to that. Oh, that's great. That's yeah, great. or yeah. linking to some website yeah. or putting some text on BatGap or whatever great. about that. Yeah. That'd be good. We were talking about this earlier today, but uh, about the, um, the importance of doing some kind of service as a you know, spiritual practice, you know, and... Um, because sometimes people can get a little bit self-indulgent, you know, when they're into spirituality. It's kind of just all about me, and there can there can be a real benefit to. Um... Yeah, I, I, I feel the, the opposite. I'm so exposed to life that whatever comes, there is no choice but to react. Yeah. yeah. Do you feel like has your heart opened up more as a result of this? I mean, you're you're no, saying life, less less constrained. Life is just. Life, I mean, you feel more compassionate, there. more kind of like... It's more that I'm there to respond to life. Before it was Before more, you're more closed in. Yeah, because if you're more into the person, it's, it's a kind of closed system. Yeah. That falls away, life, life just comes. And you, there is a response happening. You can't help it. Huh. That's nice. So what did you think of the book, Rick? So I really liked you. it. It was... Um, I mean, you know, I can nitpick because just as I was doing a little earlier when I was kind of arguing with you about that kind of stuff, because I, I try to sort of play devil's advocate sometimes and, and just to sort of argue the perspective that if there's, any, if there's any sense when I'm reading something or listening to somebody that what they're saying is not inclusive of all the, the dimensions and strata and diversity of life, then I kind of react. And there are I, I don't. I get the sense from this conversation that you're not doing that. That you're saying that you know the, that this realization that you've had has made you much more open and less constricted and and, and more inclusive and more appreciative yeah. of of everything, all the expressions. Yeah. Right. But I mean, there's some type, some circles, in, in in some cases, people have this thing of well, you know, there is no person and life is an illusion and who cares about it <laughs> you know and it's this kind of nihilistic thing which which seems like to me that the person's kind of shutting down more than opening up and um, I think you've assured me that you're not doing that <laughs> right yeah good <clears throat> okay well um I don't have any more questions at the moment, and uh, if, you, if you feel like there's something important you'd like to say, not, it doesn't have to be important, there's something you'd like to say that we haven't touched upon that you're going to think an hour from now, God, I wish you'd talked about that, please bring it out. Then I could only tell you one hour from now. Because I know, because right now you're not telling right me. Right now I don't know. Yeah. Good. All right, well, that's good. Let's wrap it. So, uh, you know, I've been speaking with Anamika Borst. How do people get this book if they want to read it? It's on Amazon.com. On Amazon? Oh, good. I'll link to it from yeah. the page on the back. Let me read the poem that's on the back. You read it. It's your poem. <laughs> <laughs> How far do we have to travel? To which places do we need to go? What time frame will deliver the freedom from ourselves? 
What if for once we question everything? All labels, all beliefs, all assumptions and inquire into the nature of what we truly are. The freedom from the idea of being a someone strips us naked and we discover that fulfillment is here and now. Life at zero distance. Good, which is the title of the book. Life at zero distance, the freedom of being nothing and none. Great. Okay, so I've been speaking with Anamika. I'll be linking to her blog and her book from her page on batgap.com. If you go to Batgap, you'll see all kinds of other stuff that's there, all, all the indexes of the, all the other interviews I've done with all kinds of people. Um, there's a place to sign up to be notified by email each time there's a new interview. There's a place to sign up for the audio podcast in case you don't want to sit in front of your computer for hours on end. Um, the donate button, there's a discussion group that crops up around each interview. I'll link to that There's in, in the forum, a little discussion group. A few other things, check it out. And I'll be doing more interviews and taping more things here at the conference. So thanks for listening or watching and expect something else to be posted in the next day or two. Thank you, Rick. Thanks, Anamika. Thank you. Glad we could do it. Nice. Good. Thank I hope you, it works. Thank you. <laughs>